Good evening. Merry Christmas. Those of you that came in, hopefully you, you're coming into something a little warmer. I, but, you know, if you, you can keep your coat on. It's okay. Um, I'm glad to be here together with you. I'm Eric, and uh, we're thankful. Thankful that uh, we, get to, we get to celebrate um, the birth of our Savior. It's a pretty amazing thing. And uh, we're going to be in Luke 3 tonight. So if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to, to uh, turn to Luke 3 with me. We're going to look at verses uh, 21 through 38. And um, if you're able to and you want to pass around the care card things, you can. And uh, again, if you just want to fill out a, a, a prayer request at the bottom of that or check any boxes there, you're welcome to do that. And just pass that along back there. Um, but I want to just jump in tonight, okay? So we're going we're gonna to look at Luke chapter 3. Verses 21 through 38, if you have one of our welcome table Bibles, it's on page 911. We're going to look at uh, Luke's account of Jesus' baptism and genealogy. And now, you might be thinking, like, what in the world does that have to do with Christmas? Jesus was a grown man when he was baptized, um, and maybe you can, you know, fudge the genealogy and, and make that a Christmas thing, but, but um, like, what do these things have to do with Christmas? And what we celebrate. Well, I think that as we look through this and we see how Luke puts these two things together, Jesus' baptism and then his genealogy in Luke chapter 3, and he links these two things together for a reason, and that reason will become evident as we go through this. But as we do that, then my prayer is that we get a deeper understanding of what it really truly meant for Jesus to be born, to be born as a human to come, God in the flesh, and, and, and uh, why he came for us. And so I want to pray for our time, and then we'll, we'll dig right in. Father, as we proclaim Jesus Christ tonight, I pray that you would give us the light of the knowledge of your glory in the face of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. So in the Jewish culture, genealogies have always served a really important purpose uh, in, in Jewish history. Participation in the priesthood, you had, to, you had to prove that you were from the tribe of, of Levi, that you were a Levite, uh, or that you came from the bloodline of Aaron, um, and, and uh, uh, you had to also prove that you were from a certain tribe to get a, a particular inheritance. You had to prove that you were Jewish or a, a covenant member of the community in order to participate in the covenant promises. All these things hinged on being able to trace a person's lineage back through history to these important people in the line, okay? That person's identity was everything. And tonight's passage in Luke 3, it's going to show us Jesus' true identity, and it's going to help us see why Jesus' identity means everything to us. Luke links Jesus' baptism and genealogy together to show that Jesus is fully God and fully man and to prove that Jesus is the long-awaited promised son who has come to save God's people. So here's our thought tonight that, that we want to uh, just meditate on and, and walk away with from this passage. We, we must find our identity in Jesus the son because his sonship leads to ours. His sonship leads to ours. He's the divine son. Look at verse 21 of, of Luke chapter 3. When all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. 
And as he was praying, heaven opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in a physical appearance like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Now we saw last Sunday, if you've been here with us, we, we paused in Genesis and we looked at Luke chapter, chapter 1 last Sunday, um, and, and in that chapter we saw that, that John who was uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth's son, he came and he would be the one who would make ready for the Lord a prepared people. That's, that's Luke 1, 17. And one of the ways that he prepared people for the coming of the Lord was by calling them to repentance, calling them to confess their sin and acknowledge their need to be forgiven. And he baptized all those who were willing to do so as a sign of their repentance. That's why John is called John the Baptist or John the Baptizer, Okay. Now, the baptism that John offered to the people was for a public expression of their desire to be forgiven, but what we need to understand is that the baptism itself could not forgive sins. The baptism had no power to forgive sins, and so as John baptized people, he also proclaimed this message, believe in the one who will come after me. Believe in the one who come after me, one who's greater than I am, one who, whose sandals I am unworthy to bend down and untie. And the one that came after him is Jesus. Through his ministry of baptism, John was preparing people for the one who truly could forgive their sins. But verse 21 says that Jesus was also baptized. So, so what's that all about, right? If he's sinless and he has no need to repent, why does Jesus get baptized? Well, as he's coming, this is not only inaugurating the the beginning of his earthly ministry through which he'll bring about the forgiveness of sins, but in baptism, Jesus himself was identifying with his people Israel and their sins. And he was showing them the way, uh, foreshadowing the way uh, in which that he would bring about that forgiveness through his own death and resurrection. Verse 22 reveals more about the nature of Christ's ministry, but it also reveals more about the nature of Christ himself. Through the prophet Isaiah, God gave a description of the promised son of David who would reign as Israel's Messiah king forever. Listen to Isaiah 11, 2. Isaiah says, The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, referring to this Messiah king, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Do you remember what it said in Luke 3, 22? We just read it. And the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove, in the physical appearance like a dove. What's that telling us? Jesus is the promised Messiah King from Isaiah. But the reason he'll reign forever is because he's also the divine son of God. When heaven opened and the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus, God the Father called him my beloved son, just as the angel Gabriel had foretold to Mary. Again, back in chapter 1 last week, we saw in verse 32 through 35, Gabriel said this to Mary about Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And then he told Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One will be called the Son of God. Jesus is not only 
the Messiah King, he is God the Son, sent by God the Father in the power of God the Holy Spirit to bring about the forgiveness of sins through his righteous life, through his sacrificial death on the cross, and through his powerful resurrection. The Father and the Spirit weren't just giving approval to Christ's ministry. They were affirming his identity as God himself, his identity as the Son. The prophet Isaiah also spoke of the promised servant who would come to do the will of the Lord. In Isaiah 42, verse 1, God said, This is my servant, I strengthen him. This is my chosen one, I delight in him. I've put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. After the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus at his baptism, God the Father expressed delight in his Son. As the Son of God, Jesus is not only Israel's promised Messiah King, he's also the promised servant who's come to do the Lord's will and to bring justice to the nations. But as he began his earthly ministry as an adult, very few people knew who he really was. He's not just the divine son. He's the human son. Look at verse 23. Now, I'm about to read to you a whole bunch of names that I can guarantee none of us can pronounce all the way through. Okay? So if I pause or if I cry a little bit in between, just let's keep going. Okay? But I want to read you these names because even though these names are obscure to us, they're important for what we have to talk about tonight. So here we go. Verse 23, as he began his ministry, Jesus was about 30 years old and was thought to be the son of Joseph. We're good. We're good with that one. The son of Heli, the son of Mathet, the son of Levi, son of Melchi, son of Jani, son of Joseph, son of Mattathias, son of Amos, son of Nahum, Son of Esli, son of Nagai, son of Maath, son of Mattathias, son of Simeon, son of Josek, son of Jodah, son of Joanan, son of Resa, son of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, son of Neri, son of Melchi, son of Adi, son of Kosim, son of Elmadam, son of Ur, son of Joshua, son of Eliezer, son of Joram, son of Mathat, son of Levi, son of Simeon, son of Judah, son of Joseph, son of Jonam, son of Eliakim, son of Malaya, son of Mena, son of Mattatha, son of Nathan, son of David, son of Jesse, son of Obed, son of Boaz, son of Salmon, son of Nashon, son of Amminadab, son of Ram, son of Hezron, son of Perez, son of Judah, son of Jacob, son of Isaac, son of Abraham. Son of Terah, son of Nahor, son of Serug, son of Reu, son of Peleg, son of, son of Eber, son of Shelah, son of Canaan, son of Arphaxad, son of Shem, son of Noah, son of Lamech, son of Methuselah, son of Enoch, son of Jared, son of Mahalalel, son of Canaan, son of Enos, son of Seth, son of Adam, son of God. Whew. Now, if you've been with us in Genesis, you'll recognize more of those names than just the, the heavy hitters in there. But why, why in the world? Like, it's Christmas Eve. Why am I reading a bunch of, of old names to you? Verse 23 says that Jesus was thought to be the son of Joseph. 
That phrase is particular. Luke is very deliberate in how he words things. All the authors are of, uh, of Scripture. But very few people knew about Jesus' virgin birth, right? Chapter 1, we get um, Elizabeth knew about it a little bit. Probably, so then probably Zechariah did. Mary knew about it. Joseph knew about it. Probably not very many other people knew about it. They didn't, they didn't get the, 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 the window view that we got reading uh, when, the, when the angel Gabriel came to visit them. In John chapter 6, Jesus was teaching the crowds, again, as an adult, doing his earthly ministry, and he, and he said that he had come down from heaven to do the, the, the will of his father. And, and so, so some Jews uh, from that area who knew him, they responded, they're like, they're like, hold on, wait a second, isn't this J- Joseph's son? Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph and Mary? whose mother and father we know, how, how then can he say, I have come down from heaven? They had no clue. They didn't know that Jesus wasn't Joseph's biological son, and so, but, so they readily acknowledged him as Joseph's son. And as Joseph's legal son, Jesus could claim Joseph's family lineage. 77 names I read. 77 names in that lineage from Jesus to God. The first major name, the first one we recognize after Joseph is David in verse 31. And, the, and David, we just talked about, David is Israel's, was Israel's king and the one through whom or, or to whom God promised that one of his future descendants would sit on his throne and rule forever. You see where we're going with this? You can follow David's genealogy now to Jesus as his descendant, the one who would sit on the throne and rule forever. Judah is listed in verse 33. We haven't gotten there yet, but we'll get to Genesis 49 as we go through that that book. And and when we get there, we'll see Jacob blesses each of his 12 sons. Jacob is also known as Israel. The 12 sons become the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. And in Genesis 49, when Jacob blesses Judah, he says, the scepter will not depart from Judah. You want to know what tribe David's from? You want to know what tribe Joseph's from? You want to know what tribe Jesus is from? Lion of Judah. We're connecting things now, right? As the promised son of David who sits on the throne of forever, Jesus holds the scepter and he won't relinquish it. This is really good news. And then we get to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They're all listed in verse 34. God made a covenant with Abraham. Then he renewed it with Isaac. We're going to start to see these. We're getting closer to, to switching from Abraham to Isaac in Genesis. He renewed it through Isaac, and then he renewed it through Jacob, a.k.a. AKA Israel. And in that covenant, God promised to bless the nations through their offspring. Who's the promised offspring that will come to bring the blessing to the nations? It's Jesus. He's the one who will, will bless the world with salvation. And then we get to Noah in that list on, on verse 36. Noah was a righteous man, tells us in, in, back in Genesis, if you remember that story. Blameless among his temp- contemporaries, he was called. He wasn't sinless. We found that out real quick after the flood. But he, was, he, was, he, he trusted God. He found favor with the Lord, and he was saved from the flood of God's righteous judgment against a sinful world when God closed him and his family up in the ark. 
Jesus is the true righteous one. He's the sinless one among all mankind. He's not just blameless, he's sinless, and he's also the ark of salvation who saves sinners from God's righteous judgment against their sin. And then we see Seth and Adam listed in verse 38. And after Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden with Eve, God promised that he would put enmity, put hostility between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. You remember this? We had to circle it in Genesis 3.15, right? This is the promise that, that is the backbone of the entire Scripture that points us to, to, to Jesus, a descendant from her line, would be struck by the serpent, but would crush the serpent's head in victory. From Seth onward, God's people have been waiting and watching for that promised serpent crusher who would come from the line of the woman. They'd get their hopes up in a guy, and then he'd fail. And then they'd get their hopes up in another guy, and then he'd fail. And on and on and on. But we have a genealogy here in Luke that takes us from Seth onward to Jesus Christ. You notice there's no names after Jesus. It actually starts with him and works backwards to show you. It all ends with him. It all culminates in him. Jesus is the promised seed of the woman he felt the serpent's sting of death on the cross, and he crushed the serpent's head when he rose from the grave. You see, Adam is called, Adam is called the son of God, lowercase s, in verse 38, because he was the first human being created by God. God created him in his image. He called him his son. When Adam sinned against God in the garden, all of humanity fell under the curse of sin and death along with him, and our relationship with God was broken. Every human being that was born after Adam, was born with a sin nature. That's our lineage. This, pro this propensity for us to turn away from God and to rely on ourselves. Our sin separated us from God and condemned us to his righteous judgment. And no amount of good works, no, no amount of, of, of good behavior on our part can make us right with God again. We can't save ourselves. We need a savior. The promise in Genesis 3.15 is a promise that we cannot fulfill. Only God can. And from Adam to Joseph, this is why I read those names. Because these were real men in real history who needed a real Savior. None of those men, none of those men proved worthy to be what only Jesus could be. Every one of those men from generation, one generation to the next, every one of them proved that they needed a Savior just like we do. Jesus is the Savior. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. And only he can be that Savior that we all need because only he is fully God and fully human. Because he was born of a virgin by the power of the Holy Spirit and he wasn't the biological son of Joseph, Jesus didn't inherit the sin nature as all other men did like the rest of, ma of mankind. And yet he took upon himself the weakness and frailty of humanity by being humbly born as a baby. And, and in his humanity, Jesus knew what it was like to be hungry and thirsty. He knew what it was like to be tired and weary, to feel pain and sorrow, to enjoy friendship and to experience betrayal, to know sorrow and suffering and death. Jesus is fully human. 
and yet before he came into this world as a baby, this blows my mind. He created it as God. Just think about that. He came into the world that he created. The book of Colossians tells us that he is before all things, and by him all things hold together. John's gospel opens by saying that all things were created through Jesus, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him is life, and, in, and that life is the light of men. Romans eleven thirty six says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Jesus is fully God. Fully man fully God and because Jesus is is both because he's fully God and fully human only Jesus can be the savior of mankind you see Christ was God before he came to earth he remained God as he was on the earth he he's still God today and he will be God forever Hebrews tells us Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forever when he became human Jesus didn't give up his godness he didn't give up his God nature. He gave up his privileges as God. As the eternal son of God, Jesus had a rightful claim to everything that comes with being God. And yet Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that Jesus didn't consider equality, God with, uh, equality with God a thing to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in human likeness. This is what we're celebrating tonight, tomorrow, that he was born in human likeness. Why? Being found in human form, he humbled himself by, become, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Hebrews 2, 14 through 17 says, Now since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these things, flesh and blood, so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. For it is clear that he does not reach out to help the angels. He didn't become like one of them. But he came to help Abraham's offspring. Therefore he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God to make atonement for the sins of the people, the people, us, 100% God, 100% man, the eternal son became an earthly son. The preexistent Christ entered into humanity and became one of us, and as the only one who is fully God and fully man, only Jesus then is able to bridge the gap of separation that our sin is created between God and us. Only Jesus can remove our condemnation and save us from God's righteous judgment. The penalty for our sin is death. The sacrifice to pay the penalty must be perfect, but Hebrews tells us, and, and God gave them a, a sacrificial system through Moses, but Hebrews tells us that the, it's impossible even for the blood of unblemished bulls and goats to take away human sins. For good. Human sins need a human sacrifice, a perfect human sacrifice in order for humans to be forgiven and purified forever. But here's the dilemma only God is perfect, but God can't die. 
Mankind can die, but man is not perfect. See the problem? Enter Jesus Christ, born as a baby, grew up in wisdom and stature, fulfilled the law, was perfectly obedient, the only righteous man, truly righteous, sinless human, perfect human to ever live. And the only one who could be come alive again after he died. Jesus Christ, God in human form, able to die as a man to be our perfect sacrifice so that we can be forgiven and cleansed once and for all. He didn't empty himself of his deity, but he took on our humanity and he submitted himself to the lowliest status of a servant. The son of man, he says this himself in Mark 10, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, it's Christ's work alone that leads to our salvation. In his humanity, he lived a perfect life of obedience to the Father. Uh, Jesus succeeded where Adam failed. The beginning of that genealogy was broken from then on. Jesus came to fix it. Adam disobeyed, and he brought condemnation and death for all mankind. Jesus obeyed even to the point of death on the cross, and he brought about justification and life for all mankind. He took our shame and condemnation upon himself and he paid the penalty for our sins when he was crucified, offering himself as the spotless, unblemished, perfect sacrifice in our place. And on the third day, he rose from the grave by the power of the Holy Spirit, the, the same Holy Spirit who descended on him. At his baptism, and when he did that, he crushed the serpent's head and he enabled eternal life for all who trust in him. As the eternal son of God, Jesus had a rightful claim to everything that comes with being God. As the earthly son of Joseph, Jesus had a rightful claim to the covenant promises of Abraham and the throne of David. And, and through his, th this genealogy, Luke connects Jesus all the way back to Adam to show that Jesus has the rightful claim as the serpent crusher. And Savior, he's not just the Savior for the Jews. Praise God. He's the Savior for all humanity. Through faith in Jesus, the Son, we now have been given the right to be called children of God. John 1 tells us. Children born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. You see, in Jesus, we have a new genealogy because we've been made new creations in Christ. Through faith in Jesus, the Son, we've, we've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ, and we've become co-heirs with him of an inheritance yet to come. And God has sealed us now with his Holy Spirit as a guarantee for this inheritance and to remind us that we've been adopted as his children. His Spirit speaks to our spirit and and. and tells us, reminds us that we are indeed sons and daughters of God. And that Holy Spirit helps us live in a new way that's pleasing to God, reflective of our brother Jesus, our Savior Jesus. You see, we must find our identity in Jesus the Son. 
son of God, son of man, because his sonship leads to ours. His baptism shows us that he is the eternal son of God. His genealogy shows us that he's the earthly son of man, fully God, fully human. Jesus is the long-awaited promised son who's come to save God's people. Jesus, the son, born to die so that we can have life as adopted sons and daughters of God. And so as we celebrate his birth, we need to keep that whole picture in mind. As we celebrate his birth, we can celebrate the good news of the gospel that leads to our new birth in him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us your son, that in him we might not only become the righteousness of God, but sons and daughters of God. We thank you for adopting us into your family through your one and only son. And we pray, Lord, that if there are those in here tonight that have yet to put their trust in Jesus, that they would see the beauty of the gospel in the Christmas story and be drawn by your mercy and grace to seek your forgiveness, to confess what you already know, their need for you, just as we who are in Christ have done and continue to do. And we pray this all for his glory. In Jesus' name, amen.